Hi, this is Yara Stark, and on the line with me, I have Walter Haas. G'day, Yara. Hey, Walter. So, we're getting closer to having a name for this podcast show, our weekly show. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to check yet, Walter, but um, if you go to the EJ blog and our last podcast, we had a few suggestions come through. Uh, in fact, John Gibb gave us a ton of suggestions in, in one entry. He mentioned e-insights, entrepreneur insights, startup insights, startup secrets, the entrepreneur show, which is T-E-S, uh, digital walkabout came from John and our good friend Joel, the blog tech guy, uh, came up with talking tech. And that, I think, is all our suggestions for this week. So any of those jumping out at you, Walter? Quite a few of them, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, how about we put them into a short list, Yarrow, and then uh, we can give them to our listeners next week. And do a little vote. Yeah, do a okay, vote. Okay, we'll do that. So we'll collect all the entries we've had from the last uh, first, well, the first three podcasts we've done on the, the Walter and Yarrow show, and I guess we'll pick the best three and let you guys give us some feedback on which one you like the most, and maybe throw in a few of our own ideas that we've had as well. And hopefully, next episode, we can announce a name for our show. And I'm really keen to get a jingle, too. So I uh, might, might go to Fiverr and see if I can get us a cheap jingle and <laughs> see how it sounds. I'm a very big fan of Fiverr. You, uh, you can get a lot for just a few dollars or you pay a bit extra. And uh, the quality you get out of there is quite remarkable sometimes. It does amaze me that people do things for five dollars, though. I mean, I understand if you're, you know, in India or somewhere where the currency is not so strong, where five dollars might be fifty dollars. But like, there's a lot of Americans doing things for five dollars there. And remember, remember, Yarrow, five dollars for a student is uh, quite a lot of money. Minimum wage yep. in the United States, I think, is about four dollars or something like that. So, well, I remember when I was a student, five dollars would buy me a good lunch. <laughs> What were you eating, Walter? <laughs> <laughs> Two-minute noodles, yeah. unless I get five bucks for something, and then it's off to Subway. Yeah, you're right. You spot yourself. Well, still, I don't remember five dollars ever being a lot of money, in my opinion. So, uh, anyway, I'm glad that people are willing to do that, and obviously they're finding value in it because they keep doing it. So, um, I'm sure they don't see it as a career, but if you haven't checked it out, Fiverr is a great site. So, that's Fiverr with an extra R at the end.com. And you can uh, get pretty much anything outsourced if it's not too extravagant for uh, $5. So, Walter, what have we been doing? Let's, let's catch up on the, the previous week first. So, what did you get up to the last seven days? All right. What did I get up to? I got up to a MVP for Kickspy. So, there's a, there are a couple of Kickstarter project owners that I've been talking to. And they each have different problems but one thing that keeps coming up over and over again is how to get more media and how to get attention which you know I think is the general problem with running any business how do you get attention to your cause or your product and uh, in that vein I've been putting together some little tools to help them manage which media outlets they go talk to who they should talk to in the first place so who's more relevant um, as as you might know if you've done a bit of media um, or you've tried to do a few press releases in the past, the usual way you go about it is by doing a Google search for maybe some competitors or similar products or you find markets or websites that are talking about similar sort of things that your product is in and then you start to narrow down, you know, who's talking about my product exactly, who would be a good fit, who has my customers and then you try and craft your message to those people. So it's that sort of process that I'm trying to tackle now with uh, a few of the project owners that I'm working with. And um, 
unlike what I usually do as a coder, you know, you want everything to be perfect. Well, this time I've uh, put up a tool in one week. It's very crappy, but it does the job. So it's not polished. It will crash here and there, but it does everything you need it to do to test the concept. And hopefully if that helps uh, project owners find more targeted websites, then, you know, I'll develop that further. But uh, yeah, that, that should give you a good overview of what I've been up to. So a bit of a coding week for you. Yeah, yeah, but uh, more like guerrilla coding, just what's necessary, moving on, next, next, next. And uh, I've been talking to project owners throughout that whole process. So, you know, it's, it's not the sitting down in a dark room coding until it's done. It's sitting down, talking to a project owner, hacking out a feature, uh, having a crash maybe once or twice, and getting rid of those, and talking to the project owners again. Mm. Interesting. I've never heard of guerrilla coding. I've heard of guerrilla marketing, Walter, but not guerrilla coding. That's I think you coined a phrase there. Yeah, consider it coined. <laughs> Patent right, Walter has. Awesome. So uh, what about you, Yaro? What did your week look like? Well, uh, fairly work intensive, actually. I, I, as people know, I've recently moved to Melbourne and um, I lack friends in this area. So if there's Yaro, not. Yaro, we still love you. I know, but you live in Brisbane, Walter. <laughs> so um, I have. If there's not a networking event on or, you know, something I've kind of, from the few friends I do have, I've arranged something, I end up having a lot of time to work, which has actually not been that bad a, a thing, to be honest. I'm, I'm getting a lot done, which is uh, nice. And I'm, I'm actually finding that feeling you get when you complete a task very addictive. It's, you know, it's right up there, I think, that, that as an entrepreneur in particular, when you go tick a box, done the job, you know, release your code, release your article, finish some part of your product, right? Whatever it is, it's just like, ah, I want more of that. So now, I know I work a lot of to-do lists and I get that same feeling. I have like five, 10 minute tasks and ticking them off is a really good feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, do you work off to-do lists? Do you have lists for everything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, they're not that, I mean, I have, I have Evernote and I have basically a, a task list in that that I work off most days but because I have a fairly linear uh, focus in terms of what needs to progress like for example this week I did two things I really want to get out my how to buy and sell blogs and websites e-guide which is finished in the sense that I have all the product but I have to finish the edit of the sales page, get the products into the membership area and you know, write little blurbs about each one. All these little tasks that go to, to finishing something ready for sale. So that list is quite straightforward. And yeah, I, you know, I have that in the list and I can tick it off and go, are the bonuses added? Yes. Has the product been proofread and uploaded to the server? Yes. Uh, now has the sales page finished and that's what I'm working on at the moment. So, so last week I did a complete review of the guide to make sure it's fresh for all the recent changes to Google and all that and confirmed what bonuses I'm including. So I've got uh, five interviews with other people who have done some website deals some, and some uh, blog deals. And I've got a prospectus document from the business I sold for $100,000, which I can finally release because I'm not on a, a non disclosure uh, contract anymore so i can put that in there as a bonus uh so i'm putting all that stuff up into the membership site and that's kind of like i guess a self-motivated task list for me because i you know i want to release the product and i, I want to do it in november so i can hopefully get it well one more done in december and, and that'll be my year done 
The other thing I was working on was just really the weekend was, again, interviews, which I talked about on, I think, two, two episodes ago, how uh, I get a deadline because that product is actually being released to paying members and I have to stay ahead of the paying members. So in that case, you know, the weekend came along. I knew today, being Monday, an interview would be released to the members who join right at the very beginning. So I had to make sure that's in my autoresponder sequence to send out the interview and the interview had um, like it. It was on the, on the membership site. Again, the blurbs are written. All these little things you don't really realize that you need to do until you actually start creating product. So uh, I spent the weekend getting the Liz Rad, we both know very well, her interview. Yes, very much. Yeah, her interview, which was uh, uh, a fun interview because Liz never does interviews. So I think I'm probably one of the first people to interview her and find out that she used to be a country girl living in the city. And uh, for those listening, Liz is a friend of ours who, with her husband Matt, they do a lot of buying and selling uh, predominantly websites now, but they also used to do businesses. And I don't know if you know this, Walter, but Liz, amazingly enough, okay, so she's growing up in country New South Wales, then goes to university in Sydney, gets a zoology degree, goes on to do her master's, meets Matt while they're in university together. And then when they graduate, they don't, don't want to go and get a job after doing all that. That was just for fun. <laughs> and now, instead, they have a friend who has a business for sale. And they're thinking, well, we might do that. That would be fun. So they <laughs> buy this business. And you won't believe what it was. Lawnmower Spare Parts Manufacturing Distribution Company. So, wow. That's, that's very out there. I remember they had a business that they sold. They built up and they sold. But uh, I didn't realize it was quite that far out. Oh, they, they had heaps. Like That was the very first one, though. So this guy was not really running his business very well. He made parts for lawnmowers, which were then sent off to people who sold them. And I, like to me, imagine if you're you know, 23, 22, whatever it is when you graduate, and you decide to do that after getting a zoology degree. It's just so left field. And they, and they, you know, they borrowed money from their family and... and uh, you know, use some inheritance money to, to buy this business. And they had to learn, A, about everything to do with lawnmower parts and then everything to do with business to, to make sure the business works. So, But um, you know what I love about their story is it because it, they've come so far out of left field, it's a perfect example to show that you don't need to know about a certain industry to take a risk and get into it. If If you're willing to just put in the hard yards, do the work and figure out what you, need to, what you need to know to be successful in an industry, you can do it. And that's what I love about their story because they didn't know lawnmowers and they didn't know, you know business so much. But they went in there and they did it and they learnt it and, until they were successful. And they keep doing it too. It's like they had a, a retail clothing shop and they had some other distribution businesses and they got into brokering because it sounded like that would be fun. <laughs> and then they got into internet marketing because, again, uh, well, Liz had kids and she ended up starting her, uh, her first website because they knew that the internet was where businesses were going. So her first experiment was to actually build something from scratch, which she says she hates doing. And that was in the teaching people how to make money with a knitting business, which you know she started as a niche training uh, site and built that up so you know yeah you're spot on they they really do epitomize that idea of business is based on fundamentals that are equivalent in any kind of business if you learn them and implement them you can do well you just have to i guess have the 
the attitude like Liz and Matt do of this is going to be fun to learn this and, and you know, have, have some setbacks, but it's all part of the process. So, but man, I, I can't say I would have got into lawnmower parts uh, at that age. You know, I was thinking about internet cafe at that age. For me, that was the, the first business I considered um, creating. And, you know, that was the a real world physical business, but it had the internet in it still. So, well, one thing I find interesting is um, I, I bet you the lawnmower business started making money, not mu- maybe not much, but a little bit of money from day one. Was that the case? Do you know when they bought it? You mean or yeah? Well, it was already making money. Like, like what happened? I think Liz and Matt saw the latency. They saw the opportunity that this guy just wasn't really going after markets and. You know, he had a product that was popular, and they ended up getting clients from around the world, including some big clients. Uh, so, and that that I think is the key, because they've already got some traction, and they're just taking that further. It's a lot harder if you're building something from scratch and you don't have any traction yet. There's that big lead-up time when you feel like you're making no progress. Mm-hmm. You're doing all this work, and there's no progress. Yeah, that's exactly what Liz said. You know, it's you're buying an income stream that's already running, which kind of forces you to work because, you you know, you've got to start fulfilling customer needs straight away, which uh, you don't usually have to do with a a brand new startup. It's like, I guess, like I'm interested in buying blogs and it's the same thing. You can buy a blog with an audience and you've got advertisers paying money. It it just feels like you've got so much more opportunity because there's people there which you can do things with, give them more content, create product, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's it's probably a little bit underutilized. I think the whole idea of buying a website business is a way to start. Like, um, it really is a, a much better way. We should have like not not started cranky ads and just bought another ad platform that was working. And then Which I it. remember <laughs> seeing when we started cranky ads. We were looking at Flipper, I think it was, and someone was selling an advertising network that was already making a thousand dollars a month. Oh, I don't remember that. I do remember seeing something there. Yeah, but it was well and truly after we started. It was a few months after we started, yeah. but then we kept on going for another two years. <laughs> yeah, hindsight, huh? <laughs> yeah, hindsight always twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, speaking of which, Cranky Ads is still for sale, so don't make our mistake and you want to get into the advertising business, get in touch with us. <laughs> and we should say it is making money. <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, we have had a few people uh, stick up their hand as possibly interested since we've emailed the, the current Cranky Ads users, so... Uh, don't know if it might still continue. We're not going to say that. If someone does step up, though, and they want to take over Cranky Ads, we'd obviously love to see the service continue. So um, that being said, it's not going away for free. Uh, Walt has put a lot of work into it. So you know, we are after a little bit of money to cover the, the costs and the, the value that's already in the business and also the, the help with the transfer. So um, yeah, give us an email if you are interested in, in potentially taking over Cranky Ads. I know we're going all over the place with this discussion today, Walter. So. We are. <laughs> um, but uh, just before we finish the Cranky Ads discussion, 2,000 hours have gone into the code. So <laughs> there's there's quite a deal in it for you if you're interested. Yeah. Can, can you feel that in Walter? He's just, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, you mentioned before we started the call, you wanted to talk about YouTube. Oh, uh, well, YouTube and marketing in general. So very tell, interesting tell thing why. happened. Sorry, go on. Go ahead. Just tell me why. Well, very interesting thing happened this week with Kickspy. So Kickspy is my uh, Kickstarter project. And what, uh, what's been happening is people have been emailing me uh, just talking about various features on Kickspy. And one of the things that kept coming up, well, a few features kept coming up were, you know, I want to be able to get emails from a custom list of projects. So uh, 
if if you want to follow, say, all technology and say art projects, um, you can actually in, on Kickspy go to the search page, select just technology and art, and then get regular emails, either daily or weekly. That's already there. But people were emailing me asking for that feature. So the feature obviously isn't clearly documented, and that's that's something that. As a programmer, I know we tend to overlook because we think that the features out there, people will see it. Uh, it's not working, so there must be, you know, another feature that people want, or there must be, you know, some marketing that I need to do. But that experience this week just brought home the fact that no, sometimes it's just an optimization on your website. So, you know, the uh, the Kickspy search page may not be the best. Uh, designed site from a UX point of view. So I need to put a little bit more effort into it, maybe point out that you can customize certain lists and then get email subscriptions to those lists uh, instead of you know, spending all of my time on yet another feature that may or may not be seen. You know, it, it took me about one or two weeks to get that feature out there in the first place. And if people don't see it, then that's just wasted time. So I just wanted to point out that sometimes if something doesn't work, it's not necessarily that people don't want that feature. It's that the feature might just be too obscurely hidden on the site for people to find. Even if you point it out, so I thought I pointed it out quite clearly with the customer, with the search button and with the email button, but obviously that's not the case. So I'll have to look into that again. Mm-hmm. When you said UX... Uh, for people who don't know, that's you know, the user interface design. Although I used to call it UI. I'm not sure. What, what's the X stand for, Walter? User experience. Uh, it's probably not quite the exact same thing then. Um, that area, I think, is potentially the one aspect of you know, web design and, and, or some, you know, business on the internet that is very difficult, I think, for startups to really do well to begin with because it's rare to find... A, a web designer or a web programmer who actually has solid UI, UX skills, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it almost feels like a full-time job because um, you need to sometimes sit there and see how your users are using the website and then tweak certain things or just, uh, or just test different variations of the page. So um, there's, an, there's a great website called uh, optimizely.com. If you want to go there, I think they're a um, Y Combinator startup even. But that, what they do is they let you add a little JavaScript snippet to your website and then you can edit your website, give it two different or three different versions and then try out the different versions to see how people use them and whether they use them differently. And then based on that, you can you know, tweak your website. So it's, it's standard A-B testing type stuff. But... You know, sometimes that just gets overlooked. Mm. Um, we all know we have to do it, but uh, sometimes we don't realize just how much of an impact it has until you know it's pointed out that one of the features doesn't exist when it does because you know it's not advertised, it's not optimized enough on your website. Are you running any like heat map tracking to see how people interact, or even like um, uh, Kismetrics or something? I can't remember if they still do that. I'm pretty sure they do. Where, where you you can see the actual you know, mouse cursor use your website and, and they record that and you can you know, go back and watch the interactions with, of people. Yeah, I did have another one. It wasn't Kissmetrics. It was um, uh, Name Escapes Me at the moment. And I did get some good feedback from that. But um, it was a bit 
it was a monthly subscription and I didn't really get that much use out of it after a few months. So I canceled that subscription. And um, if you look into Google Analytics, Google Analytics gives you a lot of the sort of heat map and click tracking type stuff anyway. And I found I used that a lot more than looking at the individual users and their mouse clicks. But now, um, given this discussion, I would actually like to go back and <laughs> look at individual users and just see their trail through the site, which you can do. I thought you might. Yeah, I actually was going to say we moved away from Optimizely and have started using Visual Website Optimizer instead on my uh, sales pages for my products. Primarily, what was the reason for that? Primarily because it, the multivariate tracking was cheaper <laughs> to get access to with the Visual Website Optimizer. We were having a bit of trouble, as, sim as simple as this should be, tracking a person coming to the sales page from my product. So, for example, my EJ Insider Interviews Club. They see the sales page. It's got all the data. They click the Buy button. They get taken to a confirmation page first, which is actually uh, an option to choose which pricing you want. Sometimes on some of my other products, it's an upsell page there as well, so you can choose to bundle products. And then they click whatever they want on the confirmation page, which then takes them to the actual page where they fill out their credit card details and, and you know click buy. So it's three pages and then a fourth page, a thank you page after making purchase that we need to, to keep track of through that process. Mm -hmm. And we, I, it was strange, but I couldn't get Optimizely to give us a clear uh, answer to the question, which version, like we were testing two versions of the sales page, so which headline, for example, changing the headline on the sales page, was actually leading to more sales because it couldn't track from sales page to confirmation page to filling out credit cards to thank you page. Uh, I'm assuming it's because I needed to upgrade to their, their big account, which would give me better multivariate testing uh, since I'm, I guess I am ultimately trying to, to play with multiple variables there because there are four pages to play with. So, or three pages really in a thank you page. So um, Visual Website Optimizer has that as just part of their basic package. And to be honest, I actually don't integrate this myself. Carly, my web designer, does it. And she said she had a much easier time setting up that sort of test with Visual Website Optimizer. And she did do it with Optimizing beforehand. So I'm kind of going based on her feedback here more than my own you know, personal experience with it. They both do similar things. And I, I remember they're both... Um, kind of came around the same time. I think maybe Optimizely is even newer because I, I remember hearing about Visual Website Optimizer. I think they're an Indian company, but they've got some big names, you know, Airbnb, Microsoft, Groupon, uh, a lot of companies use them. So, uh, and I, I, you know, it's an aspect I think for me, like I want to do the heat maps and uh, the tracking and seeing where people go on my site as well. And I find that interesting. But the problem with uh, what I'm doing right now with, with sales tracking is you actually need quite a lot of uh, purchases to get confirmation of a test. So it's fine when I'm doing a launch week because I'll get my you know, 50 to 100 sales and that can give me some significant data on which page is better. But when I'm not doing ongoing promotions and I'm not driving significant traffic to the sales pages, it's just not enough sales coming through to, to quickly test things and, and get conclusions. So that's actually why I'm really excited to reach the point in my business where I can start tapping into more buying traffic 
so that there is actually a lot of people like you know i need probably 20 times the traffic to my to my pages now that i currently get or i really should say 20 times the leads which i can then use my my marketing funnel to send them to my products to then start really getting some results from this testing so it's all these things you don't really know about you know until you actually start building a business that yeah they tell you you got to do a b testing but at the moment, the best A-B testing I could do is maybe kind of like user experience stuff, but not sales stuff because I just don't have en- enough sales coming through. Well, you mentioned buying traffic. Where, what sort of purchasing, traffic purchasing have we been thinking of? Do, have, is it mainly Google AdWords? Oh, you is should it- see my list, Walter. I, I, I'm, I'm diligently holding myself back from diving into it because I just want to get all the products done so I can construct a funnel that allows me to cross promote the products because I don't want to build a funnel and then have to go back and realize I can change the upsells because I have new products now. So I've been just building products and next year, once the products all done, I will actually turn my attention completely away from product creation into ad buying. So, you know, on my list, I've got Facebook ads and and Google AdWords for sure. But uh, beyond that, things like retargeted traffic, um, uh, you know, Outbrain, which is the, that link buying that you can do on other content sites to send uh, links to, well, send traffic to your site. Um, you know, buying banner ads, even good old cranky ads type service and, you know, buying an ad on some of the other blogs that talk about blogging. Uh, I can pull up my list. Let me see what else I've got on there. I, I know because I don't want to forget these things and I keep learning about traffic techniques that I've never, I see, I've never really bought traffic. So, I'm eager to get into it and I'm really trying to change my attitude towards it because I've been such a content marketer all my life and kind of relying on, uh, you know, write blog posts, get audience and some of them will buy. But it's actually a very kind of small minded way of thinking when it comes to, um, you know, growing a big business. I don't think it's necessarily small minded, but it's just one of the slices of the pie that you need to look at. and. On that note, I've I've talked to you about this before, but uh, I just thought it was a good idea to mention. Um, I still do a bit of consulting work, and uh, one of my clients was got most of his traffic through just um, Google search, so just good old organic search traffic. But um, with a couple of the latest uh, Google updates, that traffic dipped down quite a lot. So he had to get into buying traffic and. It took him about three months to get good at it. So he kept on losing money for about three months. But after that, he brought his business back to where it was uh, pre-Google you know, Penguin, Penguin update. So it, it does take quite a lot of time. Um, but yeah, if, if you persevere for, say, three months while you're trying all this out, find the best traffic sources and optimize the ads, then it it is worth it. And you could even build a business out of that so if you don't have any organic traffic you can just get into google adwords but you know expect to lose some money at the start while you're learning all this so true like i've got a newsletter coming out this week and i talk about the interview with terry dean i did for the ej insider and he has this idea where you just need one good source of buying traffic to have a, a hugely successful business potentially. So he's not even like saying go out there and, and you know write a blog and do Google AdWords and do Facebook ads and do some press coverage. He's just like pick one large enough funnel that you can get good at. And nowadays he's recommending Facebook ads. Just 
refine it and get better at it. Make sure you've got a converting offer that leads to profit and then just turn it on, like really try and ramp it up across the, just the one channel. And, you know, things like Facebook and AdWords, they're such large networks. There's, you know, you can get one set of keywords working, but then you have to change to a different target audience and do it again. And then another target audience and do it again. So you've got limitless, well, limited to a degree, but quite large potential channels there. Um, and you're, what you just said about starting a business without even thinking about content marketing or, or anything other than potentially buying traffic um, for the, the buying and selling guide, I interviewed another mutual friend of ours, uh, Will Swain and his case study. I don't know if you know this, but Will and Nick, you know, Nick Schoonins, the mm-hmm. who works for Will, they bought through eBay of all things, a website, well, not even a website, an ebook and a sales page to sell it on a, a a soap making business <laughs> and you can imagine these are two grown men so they're not really into soap making so much and, and no offense to any men out there who do like soap making I, you know i don't want to discriminate but um not not my cup of tea but they they basically found this quality product on a soap crafting ebook and a sales page to sell it it had made a couple of sales so it had shown potential but the lady who wrote the book, while she was great at soap making, terrible at marketing, and she just wanted to get out of it, raise some cash. So they bought it for like $2,000 and then went and did what Will does really well, which is create Google AdWords pay-per-click campaigns. And like you said, took a few months, but eventually built it up to the point where it, was, it went from a few hundred dollars a month to uh, up to $4,000 a month when you know, everything was said and done. So it took a while. Lots of testing and tweaking of uh, the conversion elements on the sales page and, and where they bought the traffic from with the pay-per-click ads. But it was a really interesting case study because, you know, Will didn't buy a traffic source. He already felt he could do that with AdWords. He just wanted a product that was valuable and he could see a good upside to. And do you know where he bought that site from? Was eBay, it Flipper? eBay. That's what I was Oh, eBay, of yeah, course. Like, and that is, is pretty unusual too. It's hard to get a good deal on eBay because there's a lot of dodgy sites there. So... Great case study. I really, you know, Will has a very um, scientific mind, I think is the best way to put it when it comes to marketing, especially because he is naturally good at that pay-per-click side of things. And he thinks like that, which is very different to me. That's why I've always been a content marketer, not so much a pay-per-click marketer. So, um, But it comes back to what we were talking about at the very start, which is, um, you know, the lawnmower business. It already has some traction. It's already making money. It's about finding the inefficiencies and tweaking that. So you make more money or get a larger audience. And- yeah, which is funny too because you don't realize that for me, when I see an opportunity like that, the inefficiencies I need to see are in things I can do to make money, but the traffic needs to be in place. Will was I need a product that's quality because I don't want to go create products. I, I want to drive traffic. I know how to drive traffic and do conversion. So he was looking for a product. And then Liz and Matt, well, <laughs> they were looking for a fun adventure, as they put it. So, you know, they got something that had a product as well as a, a customer base, but they just want to learn everything and make the whole thing better. So a lot of it comes down to, I think, your personal strengths and weaknesses. Like, you wouldn't buy a blog, would you, Walter? Because you're not going to want to, you know, start writing content or managing a writing team. No, and uh, that's not where my skills are either. My skills are in coding. So I guess I'd be more like you in terms of finding a product or a website that already has a traffic source, but the product isn't necessarily as good as the customers would like. Or maybe um, buying something, buying the traffic source and then optimizing that. Yeah, so everyone has their own, I guess, place where they come to the, the act of 
running a business and where your strengths and weaknesses are really dictate what you go after. I think that's so important. You know, it's, it's, it's harder when you're, you know, Matt and Liz's age, when they got that start where you don't really have any kind of background. That being said, perhaps it's also easier because you've got time to fail and you're, you know, eager to learn anything. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Matt and Liz's attitude at the time. Well, they still have that attitude, but, um, yeah, it's and as you get older, you obviously develop the skills. So why not go where your strengths are? That makes yeah, it's a bit sense. of a trade-off. That's right. The the older you get, the more focused you get, but the more experience you have in whatever you've been doing. So you don't move around as much, but uh, you're better at what you have been doing so far. But um, if if you're still young, one of the best things I recommend is getting a mentor because if you get a mentor that's already had the experience, the ten fifteen years experience, it just gives you that sort of kick it, it you don't have to make all those mistakes and literally you're you're like five years ahead of where you would be otherwise mm. that's been my experience with the few mentors i've had over the years yeah wholeheartedly agree with that i actually had a talk to a young girl last week who um in melbourne here <clears throat> excuse me she's kind of like that matt and liz situation but instead of having that adventure attitude, she's kind of got that more sort of low self-esteem attitude where she's not sure what area she wants to go into. And because of that, she's afraid to go into any area. And then whenever she sees a, a potential opportunity, she kind of sees everyone else who's already doing it and doing a better job. Analysis paralysis. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of, I guess, negative thinking too. So I, I really do think your personality comes into this. And that's why mindset, in my opinion, is the first thing you should look, work on, really. You know, that's why Liz and Matt have done so well is their mindsets kicked butt for, since they were young. They had this go out there and adventure attitude. And I can't say I had that when I was that age. I was more like, um, I got to find something to survive. It was more survival than um, the world's an amazing place. It's a, the world's a dangerous place. I got to get through it. So, you know, and that, that took a while to change my attitude with that. So, uh, you know, that's just going back to the whole pessimism versus optimism and how you're genetically uh, built up but anyway whoa that's a whole another topic and we're ready at half an hour walter so we are wow these go really quick again three stars for anyone that's been listening so far to our ramblings <laughs> yeah it's a bit like that uh so what are you up to this week walter just to set some some goals and then we'll we'll close off the call yeah this week i am i'm going to focus on marketing this week and optimizing my website so just to probably direct sales, talking to more project owners, reaching out and um, talking to more people that use Geekspy, getting in touch and seeing you know, what they want to use, uh, why they haven't seen some of the features they've seen and so on. Awesome. And my to-do list has pretty much one main task. I have to get the month six action plan for the EJ Insider Interviews Club done because I want to have next week, after this week, available for pretty much no deadlines basically which is because i'm going to brisbane and i'll be hanging out with walter and some other friends and i just don't want to have any uh big tasks to do so i'll be writing that this week and getting it all to, out to the members okay walter thank you all right thank you arrow thanks for listening everyone thanks everyone and uh yeah we'll get the next interview up interview <laughs> the next <laughs> podcast next week and we'll we'll put out a little notice about which of the names so make sure you Join us next week and help us choose a name for our show. And like we said last time, we didn't get any questions from you guys. You know, Walter was asking for questions. So 
I want to see questions on the comments uh, at EJ so that we have a question we can raise and talk about during our next show as well. So leave a question in the comments at EJ. And uh, thanks for listening to the Walter and Yarrow Show. We'll talk to you guys very soon.